Good morning. Good morning. Nice. That was very good. <laughs> just as I, get, as I get going this morning, first off, I just want to say uh, thank you, Dave, for preaching and as he's walking out. I, uh, I heard the sermon. It was a great word, and I've heard great things from those who have listened to it. So uh, it was a blessing for uh, my family and I. We got a, a break. We were in BC last week, saw my wife's family in the Lower Mainland, and saw a little bit of like maybe three weeks ahead, spring, or like green grass. Uh, but it, it was such a blessing uh, to just kind of go there and see family, but really happy to be back at it, sitting in scripture this week, studying, meeting with some people uh, from our church. Uh, I'm blessed to do this. Like, I'm, I'm overjoyed to have this role in, the, in this church. And um, yeah, it, it is a joy for me. We're back in 1 Timothy. If you want to open up your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 6, be reading from there in, in just a moment. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're actually in the book of 1 Timothy for three more Sundays, including uh, this one. And we'll be finishing uh, the epistle. And then we'll be in the book of Jonah, uh, reading, going through Jonah for about, I think, about five weeks. And uh, it, I think it's, it's a story we're so familiar with, but actually there's a lot there that we need to hear from the Lord and see who God is from that story. And then God willing, in the summer, we may be looking at the life of Elijah. I, I think that's where we'll be going. So we're in 1 Timothy again this morning. Uh, just as we're, before we read, though, a question for you. Do you ever, do you ever think about uh, kind of the end of life? And do you ever think, man, I don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> I don't want to get to the end of life looking back and like I wasn't about the right things. Right? We don't want to ever have that regret at the end of life and think, like, look back, like, oh, I think I actually got some things wrong or some big things wrong. We're going to get lots of things wrong, right, looking back. Like, we don't ever want to get to the end of our life and wish, like, man, I wish I actually had spent more time with my family, less, less time at work. I wish I would have been more thankful for the things that I did have, not always wanting the things that I, I didn't have. I, I, I wish I would have forgave more. I wish I would have gathered with God's people and worshiped more. I, I wish I would have shared my faith more. We don't want to get back and, and feel like, man, we, we didn't get those things right. We want to be about the right things, right? We don't want to get it wrong. We don't want to think for ourselves, man, hey, life's all about me and my happiness. I'm just going to pursue what I want, when I want and life's all about attaining success and crushing everyone in the process. We're getting as much stuff as I can. This morning, I want you to see, we want to be about the right things. If we're about the right things in life, I think we'll be able to look back and say, okay, I didn't get everything right, but I got the big things right, and that's the most important. As we're going to look at this text, I want us to see, we want to flee the right things, we want to pursue the right things. We want to fight the right fight. We want to be influenced by the right people, and we want to keep the right time. So if you want to stand with me as we read God's word this morning, we'll be looking at verses 11 to 15, but just for context, I'm going to begin reading at verse 3. 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ... And the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words which produce envy, 
dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and to Christ Jesus, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. And before going on any further, I would just like to again go to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, I, I thank you for your scripture. I thank you for uh, the clarity here. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take uh, that, that which I've studied uh, and, and speak through me this morning. Lord, give me clarity of speech, clarity of thought. Lord, grab hold of my wandering thoughts. Help me to be fixed on you, and I pray for each one listening, Lord, give them ears to hear, give us all ears to hear, open hearts, and, and teach us, Lord, form us, form Christ in us. Lord, you can only do this work, Lord, I am being obedient in, in speaking and preaching your word, may you take it and, and do your work, Lord. Further your purposes in our hearts, in our lives, and we pray that you would, uh, for your glory. Your honor. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So just getting back into this letter again. Uh, letter of Paul to Timothy. Timothy was in Ephesus. It was a hard situation. And uh, Paul wrote the letter. He lets us know, 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 15. Paul writes, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And Paul throughout the letter in chapter one, hey, Timothy, this is the message you need to be about. Here's the gospel. Here's clarity with the message. Chapter two, this is what you should be about in church, about prayer, praise. And it starts to talk about leadership within the church, elders and deacons, talking about how to care for people in the church, how to care for widows. And all throughout, though, there's this, this uh looking at false teachers, kind of like a glimpse of what they're teaching, and then Timothy, be about this. Here's what they're teaching, be about this. And we kind of see that again following the passage I read in greater detail. These are what the false teachers were about, but not you, Timothy. Timothy, you be about this. This is the closing section of the letter. So everything Paul has said, he's kind of just like reiterating, hey, Timothy, like there's no option in what I'm giving you. It's not like maybe if you want to do that, if you think you should, maybe you have a better opinion. Like this is God's word from his apostolic authority. Follow these commands. Be about this, Timothy. And so the false teachers I just kind of mentioned there in, in chapter 6, there you have in, in verse 5 or in verse 4, these people who were 
had unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words. And, uh, and, and we see in verse 10, they, they had a love of money. And they were just pursuing money at all costs. And so what Paul begins this section with, like, Timothy, don't be like them. We want to see in verse 11, we want to flee the right things and pursue the right things. He says there in verse 11, but as for you, as for you, like you're going to live differently, that big but. This is how they're living. But as for you, Timothy, but as for you, he doesn't say Timothy. He says, as for you, O man of God. And this phrase, O man of God, Timothy, you know, well-versed in the Old Testament scriptures, it would have struck him between the eyes. That, that phrase, O man of God, was used only of, of certain prophets. It was used of Moses. It was used of uh, Samuel. It was used actually of King David. It was used of Elijah, Elisha. This is the only time we see it used of someone in the New Testament. But we see Timothy, you are to live different, O man of God. If you are a, a man here this morning who wants to follow after God, listen up. This word is for you. Again, though, this is written first off to Timothy, so there's that male designation. But this is the word of God. If you're a woman who, who, like, I desire to run after the things of God, this word is for you this morning. And if you, male or female, and you're like, I'm not sure about following God, still hear what this word has to have for you this morning. May you hear what God has to say. And this, these scriptures that we're going to look at is, have a number of commands. The first one is to flee. It's, a, it's an imperative. It's a command in scripture. It's not like maybe you should do it. It's like, no, Timothy, flee. Run from that. Flee from these things. Again, the things that are spoken of above in, in verse 5, these people who had unhealthy craving for controversy, as in maybe people who are always the devil's advocate, always quarreling about words, always causing dissension and envy. Like, flee from those people. Get away from them. In verse 10, flee from people who have the love of money. Flee from people who are so concerned about the pursuit of wealth to the detriment of destroying everything else in their path and suffering of their soul. Flee from those people, Timothy. Get away from them. Flee from that. Run in the opposite direction. Notice it doesn't say stop. It doesn't say just turn from it, quit doing it. We're going to see there's a call to pursue. Friends, the trouble that we can often get into is we can just focus on what not to do. You know, quite lightly, like maybe someone doesn't want to eat chocolate. <laughs> but to the, to the more intense extreme of maybe someone doesn't want to drink alcohol or look at pornography. And if all you're doing is like, don't do it, don't do it, quit doing it, don't, you're focusing on that thing. And you're not taking your eyes off of it. So the pattern in scripture is always like, if you're fleeing from one thing, you are to pursue another thing. You're not like, don't do this, do this. There's this pattern we see in scripture. I'm just going to point out, Paul has in, in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, Paul says something similar. He says to the church at Ephesus, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness 
of God and true righteousness and holiness. It says something similar in Colossians 3, 5 to 10. So flee, pursue. Again, this pursue is a command. It's an imperative. It's not, not an option. Flee from this, Timothy. Pursue this. And, and these, this list that we're going to look at, all these things that we are to pursue are found in Jesus Christ. So we need to know that first off. He is the source. He is the life. 1 Timothy 1, verse 14, Paul says, The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Faith and love that we're called to pursue are found in Christ Jesus. Everything we're going to be talking about in this list is first off found in our relationship with him, that abiding in Christ. Like we, we can't work these things up, but as we are trusting in Jesus Christ, our lives laid down, submitted to his will, we are to pursue these things. We are to walk in them. Again, for, for anyone here maybe who is who is not a believer, I would just call you flee from the empty pursuits of pleasure, entertainment, success. They will not satisfy. You will always be wanting more, looking for the next thing. Instead, pursue God. Search for him. Pray to him. Open up the Bible. Learn and believe. This list that we're going to look at, it's not exhaustive, but Paul is painting a picture of what a true Christ follower will be pursuing in their lives. If you'll look at it with me. Flee these things. Pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. It's not the righteousness that we have when we believe in Jesus Christ and we're counting right before God the Father. It's more of a righteousness of a right living that falls in line with God's ways and standards. Proverbs 15, 9 says, The way of wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him, as in God loves him, who pursues righteousness. Acts chapter 10, verse 35, Paul was preaching to these uh, these non-Jewish people, these Gentiles, and they were, they were God-fearing. They were believing in God. And he says, in every nation, anyone who fears him, who fears God, and does what is right is acceptable to him. That's what this righteousness speaks of. But it's not a righteousness that like, hey, we can earn ourselves. But again, it comes from Jesus Christ. I just want to show you Philippians 1.11. The end of a prayer that Paul has for the church at Philippi, he talks about them being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, through the glory and praise of God. But this righteousness, again, is just finding, like, what are God's standards? What are God's ways? And I want to run after them. I want to live a life pleasing to God. That's what this righteousness is. We need to pursue that. All these phrases and words are all very tied much together. The next one we look at, godliness, godly living. If we would say maybe righteousness is a right way of living outside of an inward life, godliness is maybe an inward uh, bent towards the things of the Lord. A life that's increasingly conformed to God's ways and a heart that is shaped by God's desires. Timothy has already talked about this in the letter. 1 Timothy 4, 6-7. He's, Paul has urged Timothy, sorry, train yourself for godliness. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Pursue godliness. That God would shape our hearts and our affections and the things that we love. Pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith. 
As in pursue the things in life that take faith and cause you to step out in faith for God. Doing something new for the Lord, serving in the church, sharing your faith, maybe reaching your neighbor, getting to know them. You know, those things that maybe are uncomfortable, but I'm like, I'm, I'm stepping out. I'm believing God's calling me to do this. I'm taking, I'm actively using my faith. Pursue faith and the things of the Lord. Pursue love. Again, for every believer, Christ's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5. But then we need to walk in that love. And this love is, is that agape love, that self-sacrificing, laying your life down for other people type love. And so as we're pursuing that love, we want to pursue ways in which we can sacrifice our own ways for others, laying down our own wants and desires to serve God, to serve others. Look for those ways and walk in it. And friends, if, if you are pursuing love, then you're also pursuing forgiveness, you're also pursuing reconciliation with maybe people that you have problems with. You're also dealing with anger and bitterness. We, we I think, uh, many of us need to keep pursuing the love of God through Jesus Christ. God, change my heart. Lord, I know there's some anger and bitterness still in my heart for what has happened the past number of years. Lord, change me. I want to pursue love. So change and transform me. God, would you do that in us? Because I, I don't think you can be a, a bitter person, an angry person, and full of the love of God. I think you, know, you can still, you can kind of have some of both, but if like one's going to dominate, you can't be like, I'm so angry, but I love God so much. No, but if you're like, I love God so much, I love what Jesus has done. I don't have room for that anger and bitterness. I want to just be, we want to be consumed by the love of God. We want to pursue steadfastness. Another word for that, endurance, pursue perseverance. We don't necessarily use steadfastness much in our daily language, but perseverance, like keep going, endurance. Pursue the things in life that challenge you and build you up, that strengthen your faith. You know, like, the, like we're like, man, I could do that. I don't know if I, I can really do that. Again, it's like taking faith and stepping out. It's, it's really challenging. It's, I don't know. It's going to be really hard. That'll cause you to increase your endurance, increase your perseverance. In fact, the scripture tells us, though, that suffering produces perseverance. Romans 5, 3 to 4 says this. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering produces perseverance. But of course, like, we don't run to suffering. We don't see, like, some hard thing ahead, and we're like, yes! But when we go through trials and hard times, which we all will go through in life, we can know that God is with us and he can use those things to shape us, to form our faith, to mold us, to grow us. And we also are to pursue gentleness. This word is, is found only here in the New Testament, like this Greek term that we translate gentleness. It could be like a generous temper 
or strength deployed with sensitivity and empathy. And friends, this gentleness is, is found in God, like God alone. We need to seek that by getting to know the Lord by the fruits of the Spirit within us. And I pray that we would have that gentleness increasingly growing in us. I also, also want to point to you as we're pursuing these things, it says, as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue these things. We also see that phrase, man of God, later on, 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, or the woman of God. So we need the word of God in order to know like what to pursue and what that looks like. I would just draw your attention to uh, Psalm 119. A few verses, Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man or young woman or old man or old woman would also be okay there? How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. So God's word is a guide for us to know what are the things we should pursue. What are the things we should run after? I heard a, a good word uh, this, this week and talked about the four Ps. Uh, and, and so as you want to get into the word, you need a, a place, you need a plan, you need a prayer, you're praying, God, show me your word, and actually forget, what's the last P? You need a pen. That's why I needed a pen to write down that last point. But I, I, I love that, I love that picture that's it. That's so encouraging. You're like, okay, if you want to pursue the things of God, you want to pursue the word of God. And saying, Lord, I'm, I'm here. I have a plan. I know what I'm going to read through. I have a place. I know where I'm going. I'm praying. God, teach me from your word. And then a pen to write down that you wouldn't forget. Like I just gave an example of. I forgot the last P. I think that's ironic. But so we want to do those things in pursuing God. Friends, I also, I also want to point this out to you. As we're pursuing God, Paul writes again to Timothy, 2 Timothy, the end of Paul's life, 2 Timothy 2.22. He says this, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name, call on the Lord from a pure heart. He's like saying the, almost the exact same thing to Timothy. We're gonna, we have to pursue God. We have to flee things and pursue things until the day we die. And we also have to know that often the Christian life is one of reminders more than new revelations and understandings. Like, T Timothy, you already know this, but flee this and pursue this. Like, keep going. And I would just ask you, as I've been sharing, I don't did anything come to mind, what are you called to flee? What do you have in your life that's actually drawing you away from the Lord? And you just can't, you're like, oh, I think I should run from that, or I should flee from that, or I should get rid of it. And then what are you called to pursue? For me, because I had some time to just think about this, I just like one thing on each side, I feel God's calling me to flee YouTube. And not because I'm looking at anything bad, but when I'm like, I'm tired, I feel like just down, whatever, I pull up the screen. 
And I'm asking it to do something it can't. It can't fix whatever problems I have. I, want, I gotta quit going to it. So I need to flee YouTube at this point in time. Not saying it's bad, but that's what God's calling me to do. And he's calling me to pursue prayer more. I need to be more in prayer. So just think, what, what's like one thing? He's calling you to flee. He's calling you to pursue. We wanna pursue the right things. Look at verse 12 with me. We want to fight the right fight. Timothy, or Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. Again, this is another imperative. This is another command. The Christian life is not meant to be passive. The Christian life is not someone like sitting in a corner by themselves quietly humming. The Christian life is like, okay, as you're growing in the Lord, it's this active pursuit of God, and he's got things for you to do. And it's not just like doing everything. It's like a focused pursuit. It's a focused fighting every day, but not fighting every fight. Because think about, there's so many battles that we can fight in this world. Just a few, the, 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 probably the lightest one I could think of, like just our sports teams. Like Oilers, there's any Oilers fans? A few of you, any Flames fans who won't maybe say, say as much? I know there's a few of you, 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 didn't, you, you didn't yell out, but we can like have that kind of battle. That's on a friendly level. I've seen it you know, get more heated. My team is better than your team. But we can have, there's other battles that we can see in this world that will actually distract us. I think like the, the, the climate change battle. Like, and then, man, we got to pay more carbon tax, and you want to change everything to electric. But we can get so consumed in that fight and that argument, it can take us off, I think, what we're actually supposed to be about. It can happen inside the church. We can, we can instead of fighting the good fight the Lord's calling us to, we can fight against each other about worship preferences. We can fight about, hey, I think this program should trump this program. We should be about it. And we can turn on one another. Almost like, like, imagine a boxing match, just one-on-one, -on -one, and the person who's boxing and then starts arguing with the person's trainer. That's, that's not your fight. It's the person in the ring or someone who's driving a race car but has a little game on their phone and is texting, being distracted. Fight the good fight. What is the good fight? I believe it's living for Christ. It's that fleeing from things, pursuing things. It's proclaiming the gospel. Paul Gives attention to this in Ephesians chapter 6, well-known passage. Ephesians 6, 10 to 12. Paul writes this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's, there's such a battle that we are in that we need to keep fighting. Paul, the apostle Paul, fought this battle his whole life, proclaiming Christ, seeing people come to faith in Jesus, that was his like one concern, living out that which he knew, living a different life. At the end of Paul's life, again, looking at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, 7, what does Paul confess? He says, I have fought the good fight. He's done it. He's completed it. How do you fight the right fight? For Timothy, it was by proclaiming the word, teaching and preaching sound doctrine. I think for each of us, again, led by the scriptures, by the Holy Spirit, 
I think it's saying yes to God and no to this world. Saying yes, God created all things. No to the Big Bang and it's all a bunch of random whatever. Saying yes, God created all of us with purpose and gender. No to choosing my own identity. Saying yes to God, laying down the idea of what the good life is. Like God will determine that. We need to follow in his ways. Saying no to the world's endless barrage of advertising influences and preferences that says, hey, live for yourself. It's all about you. No, it's, it's about God. It's about the gospel. It's about Jesus Christ dying on the cross for sinners, buried in the grave, rose again. It's about heaven and hell and eternity to come. That's the good fight. This life is temporary. Things are just passing away. In the blink of an eye, we'll be standing before God. Don't be fueled. Don't be fooled. The temporary things of this world, they will pass away. Live for eternity. Fight the good fight, my friends. The passage continues. There's all these commands. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Just, just notice this. There's again this take hold of, grab, make it your own, this eternal life. The first step, though, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. God must call people to himself, and then they must take hold of eternal life. But God calls. Again, if anyone here who is listening, and you have not known the Lord, but you're feeling like, man, I feel God calling me to himself, believe in him. Confess your sins, lay down your life. Again, for those of us who have, who have believed, isn't eternal life ours already? Why do we need to take hold of it? Again, Paul is helpful here in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Paul says this, speaking of Christ, In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. When you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. It's a, a down payment. It's a guarantee of what's to come. Yes, eternal life is as good as yours, but you need to grab hold of it. You need to walk in the reality of this life that you would now confess. You would now say that you have. What does it say about for Timothy there? Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We don't know when this was. Maybe it was at Timothy's baptism or his ordination when he's kind of laid hands on for ministry or maybe at both places. Like, Timothy, you confess things out of your mouth. Now live it. Now go for it. You know, for us, even just as we have people come forward for membership saying, hey, they're holding to these things. Okay, now live it. For, as, but I think more specifically, baptism. When people are baptized, we want them to give a short confession, short testimony. What was your life like before Jesus? How did you come to know Jesus? What's it been like after? And then based on that confession, we baptize you into the water, coming back up again. And so if you're talking with someone, I'm talking to you, you're talking to me, remember what you said when you were baptized. Remember your confession. Hold to it. 
Take hold of eternal life. Keep going. And for those who, who have not had believers baptism, we'd love for you to do that, to confess it, to go down into the waters and come up again. Come talk to me if that's something you'd like to do. But what, what a thing is that Paul's reminding Timothy, hey, you already confessed it, you already said it. So he keeps pressing in to Timothy at the end of this, this letter. Look at verse 13 with me. Be influenced by the right people. If we want to fight the right fight, pursue the right things, we want to also be influenced by the right people. So Paul goes on, verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God. This charge, we've seen this before in Timothy's letter, in 521, his, his call for uh, dealing with elders, he says in the presence of, in, in 1 Timothy 5.21, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, Paul again uses this similar charge. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. We see here this charge at the end. Again, we're going to see, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Again, these two people he's appealing to, these two witnesses, right? In, in Jewish kind of law and in, in courts, you had to have two witnesses. And Timothy, here are the two witnesses that I'm bringing before you, this charge that you need to follow. God in heaven who gives life to all things. Who gives life to all things. And also this, this phrase would mean also gives life and preserves and maintains life. That's very, it's a worldview-shaping thought. Not only does God give all the life that we can see, but he sustains all the life that we can see, that we have. God and Christ Jesus. And very interesting, what does he say about Christ Jesus? who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. If we looked at the Gospels, each one of them has it. John has a further conversation with Pilate. But Pilate, when Jesus was before him, asked, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, yes. And think about this moment in time. When Jesus is before Pilate, it's after he had been beaten. Think about how he's there so humbly before him, how he's there so broken before him, and yet is so faithful and says, yes, I'm the king of the Jews. He kept his good confession. It led him to be hung on the cross. Jesus, the king of the Jews. So it's interesting that Paul, in the places that he wants to talk, hey, God, who gives life to all things, and Christ Jesus, who had the good confession before Pontius Pilate, why is he bringing that in? Timothy, why remember that? He's like, hey, Timothy, remember, you made a confession. Look, Jesus Christ, before Pontius Pilate, he kept his confession. So be encouraged. It's not just like, oh, God's watching over me. No, the faithful son, in saying yes, it took him to his death, he was faithful. Timothy, you hold to your good confession. You keep going. This was to affect 
his life. It was to influence him. I also want you to see this before, as God, or as Paul puts, God the Father and Christ the Son, maybe if you're like, why not the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit was at work in Timothy, also wrote the scripture through Paul. Why, like, why he puts these two people forward, two members of the Godhead, to influence Timothy. Just a question, who are you influenced by? We're, we can be influenced <clears throat> by all types of people, by friends and family members, co-workers, peers, people we look up to. We can live to please them, care what they think. There's, there can be healthy ways this works in our lives, and there can be unhealthy ways in which it works in our lives, in terms of like living to please men and women. But friends, I just I want you to see whoever we're living to please above all, we need to care about these two witnesses Paul lists here. That for each one of us, that we are to flee and pursue, we are to fight the good fight, we are to take hold of eternal life, because God, the maker and sustainer of life in Christ Jesus, who is faithful in his good confession before Pontius Pilate, let's keep going. Above all, may they be the greatest influence in our lives. May we care more about what God thinks, what anyone else thinks. Verse 14 to 15 wants to see us to keep the right time. So I'll, I'll say that this charge was to get to verse 14. Like Timothy, we have God the Father, we have Christ the Son, verse 14. So keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. Keep the commandment. What, what commandment is he talking about? I, I think he's actually one. He's talking about like the whole letter, everything he's told to Timothy up to this point. Timothy, be obedient to it. Keep it. Proclaim the word. Do the work that you're called to. For sure, more narrowly, he's, he's telling Timothy what I've just told you. Flee these things. Pursue these things. Fight the good fight. Keep that commandment, Timothy. Be faithful to it. Keep it unstained and free from reproach. These are terms that are used for qualifications of elders in 3.2 and people who need to look after their family members in 5.7. And we think like, okay, keep the commandment, fleeing, pursuing, fighting the good fight. Like how long? Like if we're like, okay, I'm I'm following. How long are we going to keep this? Like, 2023, 2023, or keep it it when we feel strong, we're feeling good, even when we're sick. (laughs) Really, even when we're sick, we got to, even when we're sick, even when we're tired, even when we feel low, we got to keep the commandment and like, okay, so for how long? How long do we keep this going? Look at verse 14. Keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You, just, you keep going until he returns. I love this, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that word appearing, there's so much that's said there. It's a, the, the normal Greek word for Christ's appearing is a, is a different phrase. This, this word refers to a visible and sudden manifestation of a hidden divinity. 
It also lays stress not just on the arrival, but on the resplendent or dazzling or stunning appearance of the one who comes. You keep going until he appears, until he comes back again. Is Christ's second coming important? <laughs> amen, amen, it's so important. In fact, the return of Christ is mentioned in 23 out of 27 books in the New Testament. I, I did the math, I pulled up a calculator. because <laughs> I, I couldn't do that division myself, well, maybe, but. 85% of the books in the New Testament mention the return of Christ. God, God said, hey, don't forget, I'm coming back again. You go to the next book you're reading, don't, don't forget I'm coming back again. I would encourage you in your scripture reading, as you're reading through the New Testament, every time you get to a point where it's like, talks about the return of Christ, underline it, circle it, highlight it. God doesn't want us to forget that. In fact, this, this, the return of Christ dominated Paul's life. 2 Timothy 4.1, again, what his charge to Timothy at the end, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, like he's coming back in, Timothy, so preach the word. At the end of Paul's life, 2 Timothy 4.8, henceforth there is laid out for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me also, but to all who have loved his appearing, who are looking, who are anticipating the return of Christ. When? When's he coming back? It, sa it says it here in this text. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> the, keep going until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15. Which he will display at the proper time. <laughs> he will display at the proper time. That word, proper time, is a Greek word, kairos. Robert Yarbrough writes this. The word here perhaps refers to the span of times at which God holds sway. It is not so much referred to a day and hour, although that would be implied, but the time frame. It's in God's hands. Jesus warns that his disciple, he warns his disciples three times in Matthew alone that they will not know the precise timing of the final events. But it's in God's hands. So if we want to be about the right things, we need to keep the right time. If you're about to go on a trip, you don't buy tons of things in your refrigerator, right? Keep it light. Maybe if you're moving soon, you don't like acquire a bunch of things. Time and what's coming up shapes how you live. Like just think about this. What event are you keeping time for? Maybe many of you, it's... It, Lunch. You're like, when is this going to end? I'm getting hungry. Maybe, maybe for students or young people, maybe it's the end of school. You're like, when it's coming, it's going to shape. How school's going to be over here soon. Maybe it's the big game. Maybe it's a holiday. You know, summer holiday, you're like, everything is tracked time-wise by like that holiday is coming up. It's coming up. There's excitement for what, what is to come. Make plans accordingly. Live your life in the light of that time to come. But friends, the dominating, shaping thing of our watches and our calendars should be Christ's return. Like above all else, however we keep time, whatever we're looking forward to, like big picture, like I'm doing everything knowing that he's coming back. And he's coming back soon. 
And I'm not just saying that, I'm actually quoting Jesus from Revelation 22 and 12, 20, where he says, I'm coming back, I'm coming back soon. I would just say this also, but like, what if as you persevere, you keep the right priorities, you fight the good fight, Jesus doesn't return in your time. Pass the baton. Entrust this word to others, to the next generation, the call found here with encouragement. Keep going. Stay faithful. Let's keep following the Lord. I want you to hear this. What I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not saying this, to sell everything. Look up at the clouds. Focus on that day. I remember as I was a young Christian, I was really looking into end times stuff, and I was like, I'm convinced. I, I still am convinced that we're living in the last days and he's coming back quite soon. I remember praying, God, should I, go to, should I go to college? That'd be a waste of time if you come back. So I was really, I'm like, I don't know if I should. It's like you keep living your life as faithful as you can be, fleeing things, pursuing things, fighting the good fight with the eye to what's coming. He's coming back again. So that's what I'm saying. This text is saying, live in the light of his imminent return. Jonathan Edwards, old saint from the United States, 1700s, he wrote, he's famous for writing the resolutions. He wrote a bunch of resolutions, how he wanted to live for the Lord. Resolution 19, he said, resolve never to do anything which I'd be afraid to do if I expected it would not be above an hour before I should hear the last trumpet call is in Christ's return. That we should live our lives like Jesus is coming back. How do I want to greet him? So how we live, how we spend God's resources, what we watch, what we spend our time on, the priorities we keep should be shaped by the, by the very soon return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we want to be about the right things. So we want to flee the right things, pursue the right things. We want to fight the right fight. Be influenced by the right people, God the Father, Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit. You want to keep the right time, the return of Christ, being the dominating thing in our watches and our calendars. By the grace of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, may we be about those right things and a life lived for him. May you just close your head with me as I finish this word in prayer. Oh God, I pray you'd help us to live this out. Lord, I pray that which is from you, seal in our hearts. That which is from me, may it fall to the side. Oh Lord, help us have a greater sense of your return. Our, the world we live in, everything we do, it just screams, pay attention to now. So help us by your spirit to also see there is a, a way more important day to come. Help us to live today in the light of that, of Christ's return. And be about the right things, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.